God is great and God is good. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Welcome to the tabernacle. My name is John, and those were the opening lines of, I believe, the very first prayer I ever learned. Little kid, that was probably the first prayer that my parents taught me. Uh, We were part of a generation that gathered around the table all the time. Uh, Maybe it was a generation, maybe it was my home, but um, when I was called upon to pray, my parents helped me. They taught me that simple prayer. Maybe some of you learned the same prayer. God is great. God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hand, we are fed, and the way I learned it, thank you, Lord, our daily bread. That was the first prayer, and it began with those lines that God is great and God is good. And this weekend marks the weekend of Christmas week. We're, we're, we're right into the home stretch. By the way, have you uh, got your shopping done? Buckley, a few of us, Manistee, I don't know if you've got your shopping done. My shopping is done, and I never had to step foot in the mall. Thank you, Amazon, FedEx, USPS, and the interwebs, right, for making that happen. Uh, That was my goal. Mission accomplished, right? Sometimes we have these little Christmas traditions uh, um, that sometimes we're unsure where they came from, and The whole idea of gift giving at Christmas, uh, I think it's important for us to point out some things. Is Yes, primarily it's because we celebrate at Christmas the birth of Christ, the greatest gift, God in flesh, the incarnation. Do you believe that? If you do, that's why you see things that say Jesus is the reason for the season. And he is a gift, and as we taught our kids, especially when they were younger, uh, Jesus is a gift to us, and even though it's his birthday, we give gifts to you. How cool is Jesus, right? It was a little trick move. I don't know if it worked or not, but uh, um, it's a little bit deeper than that. And and so as we begin this message, I want to read part of the Christmas story. We're not going to put the words on any screens. They're familiar to many of us, maybe not all of us. But this is what happened at the birth of Christ. And we don't know if it happened that night. Most likely it was several weeks or maybe even months later. But in Matthew chapter 2, this part of the Christmas story is recorded for us. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, that's critical, that question, right? We don't know where these wise men were from. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know they brought three gifts, or at least three gifts are are recorded, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it just says that wise men came from the east, that wise men came seeking him, and that's why, if you were wondering why some people decorate their yards with wise men still seek him, right? Which means if you don't seek him, you're an idiot. But, you know, hey, any way we can get the Christmas message out there, I guess, right? But it says, or or the question is, where is he who has been born king? Where is he who has been born king? And they go on to say, we saw a star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And when Herod, the king of the, who thought he was the king of the Jews, when he heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
And they told him, because apparently he hadn't been to Fight Club, nor did he attend church last weekend. It says, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's why I mentioned that, is in our series, uh, Savior, Shepherd, King. Uh, last weekend, we looked at how Christ was the promised shepherd. And before that, he was the promised Savior and how all of Scripture points to Jesus. All the Old Testament points to him. Parts of it prophesy that he will come. All of the New Testament is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This promised Savior, this promised shepherd. And what we learn here is he was also a promised king. That passage from Micah, Micah chapter 5, that he would be a king, he would be a ruler. His rule would last forever, but he would be a different kind of king, the kind of king who was also a shepherd. And so in our study, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 24. That'll be our focus this weekend. We started in 22, that dealt with the Savior. 23, dealt with the shepherd. And 24, the third part of this little trilogy speaks directly to Jesus as the promised king. Jesus as the promised king. And I don't know about you, but never more in my life do I just want to serve a king. One that can't be elected, one that can't, you can't sue about it. You can, you can write, you can blog all day. He's the king and there ain't no change in it. Can I get a witness? I don't know. We might have to start important a few charismatics just to sit here and there. Uh, with all our services to help us out. But, uh, and if you are charismatic, we love you and let your little light shine. Okay, so um, Psalm 24, this is a Psalm of David. Keep in mind, this was written 2000, no, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is what God says using David's pen. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And if you have an ESV. You'll see right there in the the, uh, margin. There's a little word. Selah. We'll get back to that. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. And this is God's word. This is Psalm 24. Just by a show of hands, both here in Manistee, if you're driving while listening to this, maybe not you, but just by a show of hands, 
Were these words familiar to any of you? Any parts of these words? Yeah, some of us. This is poetry, remember, Psalms, but it is inspired by God's word and all of it is true. And when we, you know, kind of wade into the truth of poetry, it it can lift some of our spirits. And some of us in reading poetry, like me, sometimes can be frustrated. But I want to say that with the exception of last week when we looked at Psalm 23, Psalm 24 has got to be my second favorite. I love it. And if, if you're reading it, you'll see it's full of exclamation points because it points us to the promised king. In fact, it describes the promised king, the one who is a gift at Christmas, this King Jesus, the reason Christians get all excited and the rest of the world has joined us. It's interesting to see people that have no belief in God or the one true God or in Jesus, his son, uh, they still hang up stockings and give gifts, right? You know, I was just listening this week to all of the, you know, babble on the television, and it's like, this is the season of giving, right? This is the season of giving. And I probably frustrate my family because I think I was doing dishes uh, in the other kitchen, and that's not what frustrated them, because uh, I'm a real man, I do dishes. But I was doing dishes, and, and I was like, no, it's not. Jesus is the reason. Giving's not the reason. Jesus is the reason. And as a Christian, we should believe that. I'm not trying to shoot on people, but that's really what it's all about. And if, if we can't get together with family because of COVID, and if it does, all the plans don't work, and the reunion, and the, but what about Christmas dinner, and Tiny Tim, and God bless us, everyone. I mean, if, if all of that goes away, and you get Jesus, it's been a good Christmas. Because it's about him, really. And remember, just like I told my kids, it's his birthday. Why are you worried about your gift? That's a different sermon. But this promised king, what can we learn about this promised king? There's three simple things, three simple things that I see right out of the text. If you have a Bible you want to follow along, or if you don't, don't worry. I'll I'll just point them out to you. The first two verses, uh, I want to reread parts of it. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything you see, smell, taste, touch, all of creation, all of that belongs to God. Oh, we need to take care of it. Oh, we need to be stewards. The icebergs may or may not be melting. I personally believe God will come for his earth in his own good time, and my you know, uh, SUV is not going to hustle it up or slow it down. It's on his timeline. However, it says he owns all of it. It's all his. Scripture says that creation is a testimony that there's something bigger than us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It goes on to say the world and those who dwell therein. So it's not just earth, but it's also the rest of the universe outside the earth. And it's pointing to something about him. In in verse 2, it says, It was he who founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The psalmist is taking us all the way back to creation. And if you've spent any time outside or any time watching National Geographic, or maybe you're one of the lucky ones have been to space, probably not here at the tab, but whatever, God as creator tells us something about the king. And it's simply this. It's the first part of that little child's prayer that I first learned. The king is great. The king is great. 
In fact, he's the greatest. He's the greatest that's ever been, the greatest that ever will be. He's not like some earthly king that can be deposed or go into exile. He's not like a human being that is going to be born, but then eventually die never to come back. This king is great. This king is eternal. This king made everything. This king made you. Now, I'm aware that when we put words up on a screen like that, you know, white words on a black background, because that's simple, uh, that, that we all learn differently. And so for this Christmas weekend, it's, and that's, I'm calling it that because it's the last weekend before we go into the you know, Christmas week. I'm hoping that many of you will come to one of our Christmas Eve services. They're going to be awesome. But when we put white words on a black screen, sometimes we, we miss the truth of those words that the king is great. And I could spend a lot of time trying to massage that or coming up with something that's tweetable or shareable that's really, really brilliant. But I don't know that there's much beyond that child's prayer when it says God is great. Yeah, the king is great. He's really, 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 really great. I can do that longer if you want. He's really, 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 really awesomely great. Throw in an adverb for fun, right? And so what I thought that maybe we could do is... is point out some of the ways that he is great, maybe use some visual images. And so uh, with the help of uh, the interwebs and the Hubble telescope, I I thought it'd be cool. Let's just flash up that picture of the Milky Way, our galaxy. This is where we live. This is where we live. Now, what you're looking at is outer space and a lot of stars and, and, and a whole lot of other stuff, probably some space dust and some floating around rocks. But That galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, that's our galaxy. And and here's the funny thing, is there are more stars in the universe that this great king made than there is sand on all the seashores, on all the beaches in the earth combined. The stars in the universe, I mean, if you've ever been out, one of the most glorious things about living in northern Michigan and living in the boonies and flyover country of northern Michigan is you can go outside on a, on a clear night, whether it's winter or summer, spring or fall, and man, you can see some of his greatness, can you not? And sometimes we never take the time to do that. But when you look out there and you consider that this is our galaxy, and earth This little floating orb that we live on, that he made, this great king, we're not even the center of that galaxy, are we? Now, I'm no astronomer, and and I'm looking at the screens right now. I'm told that one of those little specks that you can't even see way off to the right, that's us. And I don't know which one, and I didn't have time. It was a busy week. So pick one. Pick the tiniest one you can't see. That's us. And that's where you live. And if you've ever been on Google Earth, you know how big this earth is and you can find your little pocket, your little address in northern Michigan or wherever you're watching or listening from and that's where you are. And you know what? He made you too. Scripture says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your past. He knows everything you're going through right now. He knows everything about your future. This king is a sovereign king. He's in control. Scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your head. 
Even if you're like Pastor Martin, who tries to shave them off so he doesn't look like a ridiculous bald man. He knows all the hairs that are trying to show up. This king is great. Are you feeling this yet? So he knows everything about you, and yet he made that. He made that, but he just didn't make that because that's just our galaxy. And, and you know, this Hubble thing, I'm not going to try to you know, replay the whole thing to you, but it was, it was a few years, well, it was several decades ago. We sent Hubble up there, and then it had to keep traveling and traveling and traveling, and then it would send back pictures, and then it found that it could take some pictures and send them back of even further out. And I'm not going to show you a ton of those pictures, but this is one of my favorites is the Sombrero Galaxy, right? Because Christmas should be a fiesta, right? This is the Sombrero Galaxy. Isn't that awesome? That's out there. Now, check this out. I got to look at my notes to make sure I get it right. That is 31 million light years away from you right now. 31 million light years away from you. And if you're at home or if you remember anything that we say on a weekend, I encourage you, just go to Google and hit Hubble Images HD and have a little fun time worshiping and praising God for the beautiful things that he made that we can't even see with our human eye and whether or not we sent a satellite up into space to travel away from us for decades and decades and decades. His greatness decided to make that beauty whether you admire it or not. Because this king is great. And that's not even the... That's not even a minuscule atom of his greatness. When you think about how he forms us, how human life, image bears, made to think and feel and respond and have a free will the way that God does. Or some of the amazing things that he puts at the very bottom of the seafloor that no human eye will ever see. The king is great. And whether we admit it or not, whether we stop to meditate on that or not, the king is still great. And you can spend a lifetime admiring his greatness. The earth belongs to him. The world belongs to this great king. This great king founded it upon the seas. He established everything. Everything. So the king is not only great, the king is good. The king is also good. Now, great and good, those are two different things. Where do I get good from? Well, in the second part, the writer goes personal with a series of questions. And I encourage you to contemplate these questions. And I'll admit to you, when I first read this psalm in my 20s, I thought this psalm was about me, but it's not. I thought the psalm was a threat, but it's not. It's, it's pointing to the fact that the king is good. The first question in verse 3 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? That means who is worthy to go up to where God is? You know, you talk about decades later, or, well, 
A thousand years later, when the temple was established in Jerusalem, and, and, and you would have to go up the hill to go up into Jerusalem to go to the temple. But this is talking about a different hill, a metaphorical hill, the hill of glory where God lives. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? The next question, who shall stand in his holy place? Now, you've heard us say before that God is holy. If you're just joining us, that means that he's completely other than us. In him, there is no darkness. There is no sin. God cannot sin. And there's always that person who says, well, if he's God, why can't he sin? Well, why would you want him to? The perfect cannot be imperfect. And so when it asks the question, who will ascend the Lord's hill? Who will stand in his holy place? Guess what? None of us can. None of us can. I'm a sinner and I'll admit it. I've sinned before and I might again. Some of you looked at me like you're shocked. Well, I got news for you. You're in the same boat. You don't get to ascend the hill either. You don't get to stand in the holy place either. That's why scripture tells us things about God's character and his nature. Like no one can see the Lord, meaning in his holiness and his majesty and glory. None of us can stand before God and live in our natural state. So it says, who can ascend the hill? Nobody. Who can stand in his holy place? Nobody. In verse 4, it tells us who. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Well, if you take the time to break that down, that disqualifies every human being that has ever lived and every human being that will ever live except one, the God-man Jesus. The only one who can say his hands have been perfectly clean. The only one who could say his heart has been without deceit. There's only one who's worthy. I'm getting fired up. Are you with me? This is this good king. So when we say the king is good, he is completely good. He is utterly good. There's nothing in him that is not good. Verse 5, it says, he'll receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness And this is for those who seek his face, the God of Jacob, right? Now, as I was thinking this week, how do we articulate that? How do we articulate how good the king is? Well, first of all, we have to realize what a bad situation that we're in. Completely impure, all of us born sinners. Doesn't matter what family, doesn't matter how good or cute or whatever you think you are. The very fact that we're mortal and live in a fallen world that disqualifies us from ever ascending to be with God, except the goodness of the king goes beyond himself. And there's only one image that I can think of that possibly captures the goodness of the king, and that's the cross. That's the cross. That's how the psalm can be about me. That's how the psalm points to the theology that makes it possible for any of us to ascend the hill or stand before God someday with clean hands and pure hearts and no deceit is the cross. Does that make sense? What does scripture teach us? The only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to be God's friend 
The only way to not be squashed like a bug or just implode the moment the lights go out and we're in glory standing before the only righteous judge. There's only one thing that makes that possible. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. It's his birthday we celebrate. He's the gift. Why is it such a great gift? Because he was the one who was born to die. He was the one who came as a sacrifice for you and me. The only thing that pays for sin is blood. And he willingly went to the cross. And why is it such a beautiful image to me? Because it always reminds me of those great words. By grace, through faith. So when I said, I I used to think the psalm was about me, it's like, I used to spend a lot of time, well, I want to send the hill of the Lord. I got to make sure my hands are clean and be pure. And I was spending a lot of time trying to be the holiest guy that I could be. Nothing, or not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we should be obedient to Christ and want to be like him. But I was eternally frustrated because I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. The good news is Jesus is Jesus and Jesus is perfect. And so when the only one who is worthy to ascend the hill of the Lord says, you know what? Believe in me by faith. Trust in me in faith. Accept what I did for you on the cross. Oh, the cross speaks goodness. It speaks goodness. Yeah, it was a horrible thing. It's an instrument of death. And I'm sure that that day that Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't that clean as that image that we've got on our screens. But that's why the king is good. Do you agree? That's why the king is good. Now, here's a little parenthesis. It's not what the sermon's about, but there's that little term. You'll see it in Psalms. In fact, I I think it's 71 different times in Psalms. And and then I think maybe two or three other places in Habakkuk. You see that little word, Selah. Selah. Just show of hands so I can keep everybody awake. Who's heard that word before or know somebody named that? Okay. Yeah. It's usually a worship leader. That's all right. (laughs) Or someone who really, really likes worship music. That's cool. Selah. Let me tell you what it means. We have no idea. (laughs) We have no idea. Thousands of years of scholarship somewhere along the way it's been lost. Now, you're going to run into somebody or Google it on the interwebs and somebody's going to have, you know, they're going to be like, well, I've figured it out. Okay, yeah, they don't know. Because nobody knows. For certain. Now, we have some theories. It might be some type of a, you know, a musical notation. Because remember, these poems were also songs. Uh, Probably the best theory that I've heard because of the places that it's been placed is it might mean, and this is a big might, it might mean pause. Pause. And some people have even gone so far as to say pause and reflect. Pause and reflect. And I don't know about you, but I don't pause and reflect enough. And because it's church and some of us already feel awkward, I thought I'd take it a little bit further. What I'd love for you to do wherever you're at, unless you're in a car listening, just imagine a cross. But for those of us that can, just fix your eyes on an image and think about what we've covered so far. That this king is great. He made everything, even the things we can't see. And they're perfect in his eyes. He called them good and he gave us beauty. But this king, this king is good. 
The king is great. The king is good. And let's Selah for a moment. Don't look at me. Look at the cross. Love. Grace. Mercy. Forgiveness. An instrument of death that for you and me brings life. We're alive! And if you know Christ and you've trusted him in faith and received his grace, we should be the most alive. In love and worship and service and obedience to this king who is great and the king who is good. The passage ends with uh, just like a crescendo. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the tune was to Psalm 24. And for me, I imagine it was similar to the Hallelujah Chorus. It's always my favorite Christmas song. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to sing without a full choir and a full orchestra. So don't be hoping for that on Christmas Eve here at the tab. You can uh, find it on your own device. But it ends this way. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, the ancient doors. And it, four times it mentions the king of glory. It says that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. Lift them up that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, if you're wondering, well, what is glory? You picked the right weekend because I've been chewing on that a lot. How do we communicate glory? Because the king is great. The king is good. Here's the third thing that I think we need to know about this promised king is the king is glory. The king is glory. That's not a typo. That's how I wanted to to be communicated and put up there. The king is great. The king is good. And the king is glory. Now, No matter what you think about the glory, glory is not the king. But nothing nor anyone describes glory better than Jesus Christ. The king is glory. Everything about him is glory. So what is glory? Well, better men than I have been trying to define this for years. And I was born and raised in the church ghetto. And I've always heard the word glory and read the word glory and heard some great you know, definition, usually by someone named Keller or Piper or a dead guy like Wesley or Calvin. And they try to describe glory and my eyes just kind of glaze over. There I admitted it. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but glory has been attempts at communicating specifically the glory of God as his weight, right? Well, how many pounds does he weigh? Uh, No, just the weight of everything that is him, his beauty, his awesomeness, his holiness, his sovereignty, his eternality. But those are just attributes. That's just his nature. When we talk about the king of glory, there's more to it. When we talk about glory, we also speak of his beauty. We also it, it, it isn't just who he is. When we speak words like the king is glory, it, it's not just who he is, but it's also what he's done. So 
That's why we showed images of the Milky Way or the Sombrero Galaxy, and hopefully you'll do your homework and find some other parts of how great he is. You know, we show the image of the cross. Well, you have to factor that into the definition of glory, and now you see why I can't just give you a little phrase. So here's my definition of this king who is glory, perfectly epitomized. I think God gives us little glimpses of glory so that we're hardwired to hunger for it, celebrate it, and kind of prepare us for eternity. Little glimpses of glory. Just go with me for a minute. Like those moments where maybe something in creation just captured your heart. Have you ever tried to capture a sunset with a camera? Have you ever tried to capture a sunset with a camera? Okay, okay. Yeah, impossible, right? And I know there's one or two. Well, I'm a professional photographer. And I went to college. Da, da, da. My mom went to college. No matter what they do, you can never fully capture it. That's why they're forever retouching it and trying to make new wallpapers for my computer. Like being there in that moment, and, and the moment is fleeting, isn't it? The sunset goes away or a sunrise. Those are little glimpses of glory. Have you ever been captured by a face? I've had the privilege to do just, I don't know, I've lost count of how many weddings, you know, there's this moment when the back doors open and everyone stands and I'm standing behind the groom and I see him get a little weak in the knees because glory, just for a moment, right? She's all shiny and her best and it's the day and they've planned and he was up too late last night and he's just overcome, right? It's a moment of glory. You with me? You know, for some people, it's in a work of art. You know, I've caught glimpses of glory at a concert and not just a Christian concert. I've been to a concert before. I'm thinking of one concert right now. I was at Soldier Field in Chicago and we were two thirds of the way in and it was my favorite band and it was the biggest tour and I'm there with... I don't know, 70,000 people, because that includes, someone's Googling, there's not that many in Soldier Field. They were on the field too. (laughs) Packed house. And then all of a sudden, everyone in the band left except the lead singer, and he pulled out a guitar, and he sang a little medley, and they took the lights down real low. And even though it wasn't a church thing or a Christian concert, he led all those people in amazing grace. (laughs) I can still feel the chills. It's a glimpse of glory. And that glory doesn't last because he's just a dude and now his band's getting old. The bride is going to grow up hopefully and get, well, not hopefully, but you know, she's not going to look like that forever. Did I say that nicely? (laughs) The sun's either going to go higher in the sky or set and it's going to be night. Those glimpses of glory don't last. They don't last. But we see these little glimpses. And I think the reason they don't last is because none of them can last. It'll only last for eternity. Now, I'm preaching now. I'm preaching now. When I say the king is glory, those of us that have been around church or listened to Christians or been a Christian for a while, we know that we're promised to be in the presence of that glory forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. That means the moment. Sorry, that was a line of a song. I didn't go charismaniac, right? Okay. So, We're promised that that glory will last forever. You know, I'm thinking right now of when my oldest child, I think I've told you this before, when when she was uh, uh, still in our house, I think she was a senior, she, she was deep into her Bible and she asked me this really heartfelt question. She said, dad, you know how much I love stories, you know how much I love literature, but 
um, it says about heaven that there will be no sorrows, there will no be tears, so there's going to be no conflict. And the conflict is the best part of the story because there's conflict. And then at the climax of the story, there's resolution. She goes, if there's no conflict, I said, what's your question, Belle? And she goes, will heaven be boring? That was an honest question. That's a deep question. Because I know as a little boy, I thought the same thing. If I'm going to be a little angel with a harp floating around on a cloud wearing a toga, I don't want to be a part of that. So I don't care if you're you're about ready to be dead or if you're young and just start out in life. You know what the Bible tells us about this king? The king is glory. We're going to be in that presence forever and ever. So if you've been on YouTube, remember double rainbow guy? Remember him? Double rainbow. This dude woke up and there was a double rainbow in the sky and he had this emotional, visceral reaction. Our creative arts director, Victoria, tells me that's the Stendhal effect. That's something that separates us from the animals, the ability to be captured emotionally, viscerally, almost physiologically by an image of beauty that just gets us. It could be in a story. It could be in music. It could be having to do with our life. That dude was full Stendhal effect. Double rainbow all the way. Remember that, bro? You don't remember it? Kids these days. So this is what I thought I'd do. I want to share just a little glimpse of glory. Because where I've experienced it most powerfully is in athletics. And I think many of us, we can grab a hold of that because it's something corporate. And whether you're an athlete or not, you know, you can appreciate it just a little bit. And, and, and it's usually to fully grasp it. It's, it's a moment where it's a team effort. And there might be an individual that shines, and that's Jesus. But it's, it's a moment where players and fans, you know, where Victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. And there's this glimpse of glory that you can feel. And so instead of a picture, I thought I'd show us just a little video of a glimpse of glory. Now, let me set it up real quick. Um, I I couldn't use Michigan or Michigan State or God's team, Notre Dame, um, because then you won't capture it. But I did choose the Big Ten because we're Christians. All right? And since I was born in Bloomington, Indiana, I chose Indiana University. And it has to do with basketball because that's your favorite. I know. Basketball, then Jesus. I mean, Jesus, then basketball. I got it. Um, Just seeing if you're awake. And this was a time when their nemesis, the devil, Kentucky, was number one and undefeated. And Indiana had been in the wilderness for years and years and years. No time left on the clock. Down two points. Another defeat. Another quarantine. Another Christmas without my loved ones. Another rejection. Another those people don't love me. You fill in the blank. All the sorrows of this life. That was I you. Until a glimpse of glory. Yeah, let's play that. Back out, then went back in. 19 for him. Here comes Riddell Jones. Three seconds, two seconds. Riddell all the way outside to Watford. Three on the way. Oh! And one in! And one in! And Indiana wins the ballgame! Christian Watford with a three! And the Hoosiers have knocked off the number one-ranked Kentucky Wild. Unbelievable! 
Did you get a glimpse? Did you get a little glimpse? Now, I realize with any of our attempts, maybe you don't like red. Maybe you don't like basketball. But we say the king is glory. Was it that moment that you had the biggest buck of the season until somebody shot it next year? But you got a glimpse. Was it the moment you baked that thing at Christmas dinner and everyone said your dessert was the best? Can you relate to the glimpses that we're given? The glimpses aren't meant to be worshipped in the here and now, although many of us try. The glimpses are meant to give us a little taste of who he is and what he's done. He's a savior. He's a shepherd. He's a king. And the king is great. The king is good. And the king is glory. That moment of complete euphoria where people lose their minds and start acting like idiots. I think I just noticed it in watching it just now that I believe a police officer was in the middle of that and was being lifted into the air. Yeah, that'll get you shot. Right? The king is great. The king is good. The king is glory. Forever and ever and ever. That's the gift at Christmas. So the band's going to come, and in keeping with what we've done the last uh, uh, two weekends, uh, we're going to close in prayer together. And the prayer is a declaration, but it's also a declaration or it's not just a declaration of fact, it's a, declaration, it's a declaration for some of us of our praise. And even if you're not sure about it, and I don't know which one of those are for you, but if there is no wasted words in Scripture, all of them are true. None of them can be denied. It says that one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, to the glory of God, the Father. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's who we celebrate at Christmas. And so we're going to pray. We're going to change that child's prayer together. And, and we'll keep it real simple. I didn't put the words on the screen. It'll be a repeat after me. Uh, but, it's, but it's just those three words. And then we're going to say amen. Do you think you can do that here in Buckley? Can we do it in Manistee? Wherever else you are. Ready? Loud and proud if you believe it. Now you can be that guy or that girl that's like, oh, I'm going to talk real little Or... You can declare it in such a way, preparing your hearts to sing, that he can hear you, that he can hear you the same way the Psalms do. Ready? Repeat after me. The king is great. The king is good. The king is glory. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.